Well, I'm Jonathan. I'm the small groups pastor, and um, I get the privilege of preaching this morning. And uh, we're going to be in a brand new two-week mini-series called Identities, because there's an identity problem in our world. And identity is important. It's like a pair of glasses or contact lenses by which we see ourselves and see the world differently. And it seems that right now everything and everyone um, is self-defined, that we're self-made men and women, uh, even to the root and core of who we are as humans. And Identities seem to be ebbing and flowing based off feelings or looking inward or, or a my truth, your truth mindset. But for a lot of us here, we know our identity is to be rooted elsewhere. And we as the church are not wholly unaffected by the culture that we live in. I actually, on the contrary, I think culture is incredible at discipling us because our culture is pervasive it is submersive, and many times it's attractive. And so it has a lot of us that are trying to follow Jesus living as identity amnesiacs. We're for- forgetting who we really are. Uh, the, the idea that there, here's an identity that is rooted in God that we forget every day. And I, and I want to demonstrate the stakes of when we poorly root our identities by showing what happens when we actually do root our identities in things we give ourselves, um, even very good and important things in our lives. And so I'm going to read just a little bit of a longer excerpt than I normally would um, from a book by Tim Keller called The Reason for God. And so just listen in as he identifies these different ways that may connect with your life. He says this, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous, and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your children, you'll try to live your life through them until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you will be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you will lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life and identity on pleasure, gratification, or comfort, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. You'll become chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you'll be constantly overhurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. And you will fear confronting others and therefore be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you'll divide the world into good and bad, and you'll demonize your opponents, and you will be ironically controlled by your enemies. Without them, you have no purpose. If you center your life and identity on religion or morality, you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. And if you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly 
devastating. So as you heard that, if you're, if you're like me, you found yourself convicted, possibly embarrassed because of how true they run home. But it, it, this begs us a few questions. First, well then, how do we determine what identities we should own? How do we determine that? And then after that, what are those identities? And then how do we live those out? How do we live those out? Because the reality is, if we can find these core identities, uh, identities that are unshakable and lean into them, that we then will get to live with greater freedom and intentionality with Jesus and for his kingdom. And and that's what we want to do. So between today and next week, we're going to be looking at these three unshakable identities that, for the everyday disciple and how to battle our identity amnesia and live out those identities. But uh, before we jump into that, we need to, we need to pray because um, you're not here to hear from me. You're here to encounter God and have him work in your heart and in your mind and move beyond this moment into the rest of your life, bringing Sunday into Monday. So... Um, Let's, let's pray, and I'm going to start with a prayer based off 1 Peter chapter 1. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we set our hope on your grace. We depend on your word and your spirit to guide us. Reveal your will and your way as we look to your word. Transform us to be more like you. Help us to walk in obedience and in love, giving praise honor, and glory to you in all that we do. Father, I thank you for this morning that we have to worship you, to learn from your word. Would you be working in our hearts even now? Would you take any distractions that are on our minds right now and would you just remove them? Help us to just focus on you in this moment and to hear from you and for you to change us. Pray for your Holy Spirit to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we look to first, how do we determine what identities to own? I want to share a couple of scriptures, and if you've been in church for a good amount of time, these are ones that are very familiar with, but they're incredible reminders to us. So first, let's start with Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And the second one from 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So, just a reminder, we see this over the whole breadth of Scripture. He's the creator and he's the recreator. He's the one who made us and he's the one also makes us new. So, it seems really clear just from that big picture, that God is the creator of our identity. God is the creator of our identity. And and what's even better news about this is that God gives us his word and he gives us his son to communicate who he is, his identity, and then also to communicate to us what our identity is to be. But before we jump more into that. I want to give us a framework of what we can bring every time we come to Scripture, 
to help us see this. We've been in a series over the last eight weeks on systematic theology, kind of looking at the the broader picture. And you could see this two-week mini-series as a continuation of that, maybe a systematic identity series. We're looking at the broader picture of Scripture. And so uh, I want to give us a tool by which to do that. And so the tool or the framework that I have for us is uh, these four questions. So the first question is, who is God? Second, what has he done? Because of that, who are we? And then because of that, what do we get to do? Okay, so, all right, Jonathan, I've asked probably all of those questions in some order, maybe not all together in that exact way, but why this framework? Well, let me help. The Bible is the story of God. It's about him in the beginning, God, in the beginning, the Word. The story is about God revealing himself and doing so by what he's done over time in history, and God perfectly lives out his identity. And so we can see him by what he does. And because of that revelation of who he is and what he's done, that work, he invites us to be reconciled and recreated. To be reconciled and recreated, to be made new. And in this newly created self, we have a new way by which to live, to reflect that new identity. And for a lot of you, you're giving me head nods like, yep, okay, good reminders, that's the Christian life. Um, But just for a second, if if you're someone either here or online and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, this is one of the best parts of the gospel is that you get a fresh start, a new start. You are made a new person. It's incredible news. And see, this is a paradigm shift, though. For these who are like, okay, I'm tracking with Jonathan, I get it. Uh, but this is different because we normally define our identity by what we do. And God is actually flipping that on his head saying, no, I'm making you this. This is who you are now, so now you do these things because of who I've made you to be. You see the difference? You don't have to change your behavior so you get a new identity. God gives you a new identity to shift your behavior. And so I want to take this this framework, this tool, and I want to help us kind of look at a a set of scriptures. Um, We're going to look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And um, there is a little typo. There is no second Ephesians, so sorry about that. But uh, we're looking at Ephesians 2. Um, Let's just read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so what I want you to do, if you got your sermon application guide in front of you right now, or those of you who are online, take it out, get your pen out, and do this. And if, if you don't have that, that's okay. Just look at the screen and follow along kind of in your mind because we're going to do a little like actual tangible things with this scripture using that framework, that tool we talked about. So the first thing I want you to do is I want you to look at the scripture, either on your sermon application, go to the screen, and circle what seems to be revealing of God's identity. Circle things either in your mind or on the paper that reveal God's identity. Okay, and there's, there's not a whole lot like wrong answer. Don't think like if you don't match what I put on the screen, you got it wrong. This is just helping you get into the mindset of this framework, this tool. Okay, so 
things I circled here. Okay, so grace. Whose grace? God's grace. God is gracious. We, it's a gift of God. He's a giver. We already talked about this from the earlier passages. He's a creator. And it seems like he's a preparer. Now remember, God perfectly lives out his identity, so a lot of who God is and what he's done, there's a lot of crossover. Okay, so, but now I want you to underline the things that he's done. Underline things in the passage, either in your mind or on your paper. Underline the things that God has done. Okay, let's go to the next one. And so, um, what has he done? Well, he's saved us. And what is he, he's given us a gift. We are his workmanship. He's a craftsman. He's created us. He's worked on us. And then he's created, and we see the prepared again. He's created us. He's prepared something for, her, for us. Okay, now the, the, the third question. Because of that, because of who he is and what he's done, who are we revealed to be? Who are we? So I want you to draw a square around the identities we are given. Draw a square around, in your mind or on your page, the identities we are given in this passage. Okay, here's ones that I put squares around. Okay, we're, we're saved. We're a saved people. We're his workmanship. We're his craft. That's who we are. We could, you could also put a square around his. We're his. We're created. We're his creation. Okay, last one. Now, because of that, what do we now get to do? Because of our identity. So I want you to draw, basically it's an underline with an arrow. Like, what do we get to do now? So draw an underline with an arrow under those things of what we are to do because of all these now. Okay, now I'm going to put some of the ones I have. Well, we're saved not of our own work, but because of his work. And so one thing that we get to do is not boast in ourselves, only boast in Jesus. The other thing we see that there are these good works because we are his workmanship, that he's, he's, done, he's given us good works. We're created for these works. He made us for them, and then he's prepared them ahead of time so that we would what? We'd walk in them. So you can see how this process can really help us enter into the identity that we have. And this broader picture of God's gracious. He sent his son. He's remade us. We're his workmanship. And then he's got these good works prepared for us. So, I mean, this, this is the good news of the gospel. Just to just help you remind how backwards this is to normally uh, all other religions and frameworks because all other religions flip this upside down. They, they ask you, what do we have to do so that we are accepted, good enough, enlightened, so that God or the universe or whatever will do this for me, do X, so that God will be this, who I said he is, like a vending machine. And that's not who our God is. Are you guys following me on this? This making sense because this, I mean, this is key. This tool is key to kind of unlocking who we are in Christ and these identities. So, who is God? What has He done? 
Who are we and what do we get to do? And if you need an easy way to remember this when you come to Scripture, it's the who, what, who, what. That helps you, the who, what, who, what. So, now, how do we got that established? What are these three unshakable identities we're focusing on for this mini-series? And actually, today, we're just going to look at the first one. And next week, you'll have to come back and we'll look at number two and number three. And what's great about this is it's going to be easy to remember because each identity is rooted in a different person of the Trinity. Each identity is going to be rooted in a different person of the Trinity. We serve a majestic God who is a triune God. There's three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so that's how we're going to look at it. So what's this first identity? Well, because God is Father, we are His family. It's identity number one. Because God is Father, we are His family. And so I want to look at uh, just some scripture on this from the Miller family. John 1 verse 12. And to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 4 7 to 9. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. It's always fun having kids read scripture. And um, what's even great about this and how this connection is, what, what are we talking about here? He gave us the right to be children of God, children of God. Family language is all throughout Scripture. And because of our Heavenly Father sending His Son, when we put our faith in Him, we are His sons and daughters. God makes us His family when we accept this free gift, the free gift we looked at in Ephesians. And and the thing is, when we see ourselves as family, we see that we were adopted, adopted by God undeservingly, but overwhelmingly and lovingly adopted. Because the thing is, God doesn't love you based on how well you love. He loves you based on how well he loves. And, and I want us to just kind of think about this idea of adoption, this idea of being his family, his sons and daughters, by looking at this, um, this short video, a taste of an earthly look of what it means to be adopted. Careful, open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. Sorry about that, guys. I told Pastor Tom I had to watch it like a thousand times this week just so I could preach after watching it. But can you just see and hear your Heavenly Father holding your face, saying, I love you. I will always be your loving Father. Always. 
See, when we live from this identity, the one that God gives us, we want others to live in it too. We want others to live in it too. There's a pastor and author named Jeff Vanderstelt. He and another guy named Caesar Kalinowski have been hugely influential as mentors uh, to me as a pastor. Um, and he says this about this idea. He says, when we see what God does to us, we then see he wants to do that same thing through us. When we see what God does to us, he, we see he wants to do that same thing through us. And what's great as being adopted in God's family, that means we also have brothers and sisters that we get to love. And, and see, the great thing about living from identity instead of behavior, it actually transforms Scripture from a book of rules and tenets to follow, and it makes it a family to live in and an adventure to play out. It's a family to live in and an adventure to play out. It transforms our thinking about the Bible from a to-do list to a get-to list. From a to-do list to a get-to list. It was um, a, a couple of years ago through an organization called Safe Families. Um, they provide kind of respite care for children as, in most cases, a mom is having to work through some different challenges in life. And we had the opportunity to house and love a little boy in our home for a few months as uh, his mom was looking for work and working on some mental health things. And we had this opportunity to love him into our family for the time that he was with us. And here's the thing. We, we invited him into our home and loved him, not because we knew him from the park or from school but because God had loved us so overwhelmingly into his family when we were enemies of God, that because of that, we get to love people like family. We get to love people like family. We didn't do this because we felt we had to. We did it because we saw that we get to do this, get to live this way. Now, to be fair, I, I don't want to put any rose-colored glasses on, on this in this kind of get-to living because as, as easy as it was to love that boy in our home, other circumstances surrounding it made it one of the hardest times in my family's life. It was just super hard. Because when we love like family, loving like family is messy. It's not, it's not easy. It's, it's messy. Just, just a lighten things a little bit. I mean, does anybody have family members that aren't easy to love? I think maybe you got some, someone that comes to mind right away maybe, but um, maybe you have someone in your life that just does not have boundaries. I mean, someone who just doesn't have any boundaries, doesn't know where the line is, or maybe you have someone in your life who's seemingly never nice to you. Seems Looks like he's nice, but he's never nice to you. Or maybe you have a Mr. Know-it-all in your life and just seems like they know everything, know the answer to all of it. And I can tell by the level of laughter, your level of knowledge of what movies I'm showing. And so I'll tell you what those are later. Um, but it, that aside, this is why it's so important to live from our new identity as the family of God. Because here's the deal, when we are with people, any person, we only have two choices in how to see them. That's it. There's two. One, 
They are our brother and sister in Christ in whom we are to dearly love as a testament to the world of God's love. It's John 13. So that's choice one. The second one is that they are a lost brother or sister in Christ that needs to be introduced to and be transformed by a heavenly father. And that's from 1 Timothy 2. So that, that's it. You see, when, when we live out the identity that God gives us as the family of God with those only two choices, it changes everything. Because now when we go to Starbucks and the barista behind the counter is there, we only have a couple of choices. She's either our sister in Christ in whom we're to dearly love as a testament to the world or a lost sister who needs to be loved and introduced to their heavenly father. Because if we want to see change in our lives and those that we encounter, we have to be faithful to the right God-given identities. And being the family of God is what will fuel, actually, the other identities we talk about next week. To say it another way, we have to be faithful to our identities so that we can be fruitful from our identities. We have to be faithful to them and the right ones so that we can be fruitful from those identities. And so far, you know, we've, we've looked at the importance of the idea of adoption and brothers and sisters or seeing the world as brothers and sisters or lost brothers and sisters. But lastly, I want to kind of flip it a little bit and, and, and show that we are to be loved like family by being known to God's family. To be loved like family, to be by being known to God's family, because many of us don't experience the deep love of family because we only reveal a part of ourselves. We only reveal what we would like to reveal. And you might be afraid you'll be deemed unloving or looked at weird, or you might be afraid you're going to be judged and stomped on in your vulnerability. And and, and maybe you've been burned that way before. But even as I say this, I don't want you to hear me saying like, okay, you're telling me I got to take all my warts and everything and tell my whole story to every Christian I ever meet? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that God knows you, he knows the whole journey, and he's invited you and adopted you into a family. And in, to be a part of that family, he wants you to be loved. And part of the way he wants you to experience his love is through your brothers and sisters. And you do this by sharing your life and your story with some brothers and sisters. Living life in such a way that you are loved in the pain and through the pain, you're loved in the joy and through the joy. And it's going to be no surprise to you from the small groups pastor, the way we do that here at Five Oaks is through small groups. And it's through our mixed groups, it's through our men's groups, our women's groups. I mean, this is how we live life on life loved by brothers and sisters, loving brothers and sisters, and together to love a world who is lost towards their heavenly father. And this is just part of the journey, but our heavenly father did this work. He invited us into his family through the work of his son Jesus on the cross. He adopted us through this work. And so before we come to the part where we always remember what Christ did for us through communion. I want us to put ourselves back into the shoes of that little girl in the video, adopted by their Heavenly Father by the work of Jesus on the cross. And actually, we're going to play it one more time.
Careful, open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be your parents. I love you so much. If you've put your faith in Christ, you've been adopted by an incredibly loving Heavenly Father through the work of His Son on the cross. And as His family, we are to remember what Jesus did by first taking of the bread, remembering His body broken for us. And we remember his blood shed for us. Father in heaven, you are great. You are loving. You show us so much of who you are. We're thankful for who you are, your character and identity revealed and what you've done that changes us, changes who we are and changes how we see who we are and changes how we see the world. Would you help us embrace this? Would you take anything that's stirring in our hearts, that's inspiring or, or motivating Put it into transformation. Something that moves beyond just the right now. Help us to live like your family. We love you so much. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.